Hi, I'm Tammy Hicks-Jackson. Welcome to my podcast. I am a Christian pastor in the United Methodist tradition, and this podcast covers a variety of topics. You may find anything from Bible study and devotions to yoga and meditation from a Christian perspective to my thoughts on Christian leadership and the church. Look for the descriptions and the tags for each episode to find what you're interested in. And thanks for taking this journey with me. Let's jump into this episode. The Jewish Bible is organized differently than the Christian Bible, even though we contain pretty much the same books in the Old Testament. In the Hebrew Bible, the first section is the Torah, the first five books that we have in Christian scriptures. Then there's the Nevi'im, which are the prophets. And then there is the Ketuvim, which is the other writings. And together they are called the Tanakh, which is an anagram made from the first letters of each of those, Torah, Nevi'im, and Ketuvim. And so together they are the Tanakh there. The Book of Lamentations falls in that third category, the writings, in the Jewish scriptures. However, in the Christian canon of scripture, Lamentations is in with the prophets, The book of Lamentations has been traditionally attributed to the prophet Jeremiah. That's actually why it follows the book of Jeremiah in the Christian scripture. Um, They're probably not his poems, um, but they're traditionally attributed to him. And in this case, I don't know that it matters so much who the author is as um, what they're trying to convey to us. The book of Lamentations actually contains five poems. They were most likely separate poems at one time. They are probably anonymous, um, and maybe it is Jeremiah that gathered them together and felt that they had something enduring to say, which may, may be why they are attributed to him. The author or authors of these poems witnessed the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. to Babylon. Four of the five poems are acrostic poems. All 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet are used. The fifth one still has 22 verses to it, but it's not an acrostic. They don't. Each one doesn't start with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The destruction of cities was common in the ancient world, and there were two reasons for that. Um, people believe that either one, that their god or gods were angry, um, or two, that their deity, their god, had been conquered by other gods. And so the former is what we hear in these poems, that God is angry with us, and that is why these things are happening. However, we're also going to hear a pretty significant amount of hope. In chapter 1, we have the poem that has been titled The Deserted City. Jerusalem was once a princess. She's now a widow, a vassal, a slave to the nations, without home and without safety. The ruins are are quiet. There's no worship, no fruitfulness. Um, She has gone from being respected to reviled and is now humiliated. In verse 12, How can they not feel how much this hurts? Like you hear the poet saying, how can you not feel what a tragedy this is? How do you not know how very sad this is? In verse 14, uh, sin becomes a yoke to us. Um, Sin comes to control us 
we think we're going to, we're in control of ourselves. And so we're going to dabble in this sin, but it is actually sin that comes to control us much in the same way that a yoke is used to control the behavior of of an animal that you're using to do work. It weighs heavily upon us. In verse 19, the priests and elders have deceived Jerusalem, who's portrayed as a princess here. Um, And her lovers or her partners, they were supposed to be her protectors. In chapter 2, God's warnings are fulfilled in this poem. Um, Look in verse 3. Because of the repeated disobedience, protection has been removed. In verses 4 through 6, God now not only has removed protection, but God is portrayed as actually going on the offensive. Because of your behavior, you've actually made yourself an enemy of God. Um, You're definitely on the wrong side of this when you find yourselves in this situation that the poet is describing. In verse 7, God allowed his sanctuary to be destroyed. Their sin is so great that God would allow God's very own sanctuary to be destroyed. It is of no use to them anymore. In verse 10, we see mourning, sackcloth and dust or ashes or signs of mourning, things that they traditionally did when they were in mourning in the same way that we might tend to wear black to a funeral. Um, Verse 11, when it talks about bile on the ground, that's a way of saying vomiting. Verse 14, the false prophets, um, those false prophets didn't call you out on your sin. They should have, and they didn't. Verse 15, others laugh and point. Uh, We're familiar with this from childhood playgrounds where um, when you're humiliated and someone laughs and, and points at you. And in 20, chapter, verse 20, it becomes so bad that there is cannibalism and bloodshed right in the house of worship. These are travesties, things that should never happen. Of course, we don't believe in cannibalism, but there's this idea that you don't want to shed blood in the house of God. That's something that happens outside. Violence does not come into the presence of God. In chapter 3, this poem is written completely from the first-person perspective. The first two of the poems have bounced back and forth between first-person and third-person, but this one is going to be entirely in the first-person voice. This is not the voice of the city. This is the voice of an individual, and this individual is in deep grief and deep pain. The individual sees God as actually hunting him. And then there's a shift that comes around verse 21. I happen to really like verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And the 23rd is like it. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. I just love that picture. Um, No matter how unfaithful, unloving, unkind, and disobedient, human beings may be. God's love is steadfast, and the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. He gives us these new beginnings, these opportunities to do better. Every day is a new opportunity to live more faithfully than we have. Every minute is a is a time to make a new commitment to live as we're supposed to. 
In verse 25, we see that God is patient. This reminds me of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And when we wait, waiting here, um, you'll mount up as on eagle's wings. You'll find your strength. That reminds me of Isaiah 40, 31. In verse 31, God won't stay mad forever. This is a common refrain of the prophets. Um, We hear it in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Psalms, and Hosea. In verses 37 and 38, they are attributing everything that happens to God. That is the viewpoint of the Old Testament, um, of the judges and of the prophets, that everything that happens, God is in control of. Now, if you take that too far, then God becomes someone that we don't even feel like we know or could trust and follow. But for them, it was a key idea that God has to be in control. There has to be a grand master plan that eventually it all comes out okay. And I have to believe that God is still in control. That's the only way I can bear up under the things that I'm experiencing. So that's what we hear the poet saying in verses 37 and 38. 41 tells us to lift up heart and hands. Um, so both our feeling and our behavior. Verses 30, uh, 43 and 44, the poet now says that God feels resigned. He's, God has gone silent on them. It's like It's like God's not even listening. We've been so disobedient that God doesn't even want to hear anymore. Um, I don't understand why the verse numbering was so different for um, this poem. There are actually 66 verses to chapter 3 instead of 22. Um, Since it's an acrostic poem, I don't understand why each of the verses that begins with one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet has been broken into three smaller verses when we added chapters and titles. But for some reason we did. But for chapter 4 and 5, we go right back to the pattern of chapter 1 and 2. In chapter 4, we now have a poem about the punishment of Zion. Desperate times make or reveal cruel people. We see the true colors when things get really difficult. Um, Verses 7 and 8 contrast the two visages. Um, There's white skin, which represents purity, and there's ruddy skin, which would be pink, um, flushed with blood flow. Um, It's healthy and it's vibrant. Um, blue is referring to the veins that are on the skin. Um, I'm a little bit unsure here why the new revised standard version that is my go-to version um, says the hair is blue um, instead of the veins. Um, it talks about being black as soot. So this represents being tainted or marred as though you've been rolling in ashes. Um, shriveled. Shriveled would be not pink and healthy and then dried. There's no blood flow here. So those are the contrasts that we see between the healthy and the unhealthy. Verse 10, once again, references cannibalism. And verse 15 um, talks about being treated like a leper, like someone that is, is an untouchable. And in verse 5, we have our final poem, also 22 verses, but not an alphabet acrostic poem. Um, It is in the first person plural. This is the first time that that we've used first person plural in this book. And it is a community lament, 
Now we are all mourning and grieving together over what we've experienced. The concern with this poem in the fifth chapter is that they've gone too far, that they've gone so far that they have been rejected and that they will never be able to repair their relationship with God. Um, And it ends with that unanswered but hopeful in there. So it gives us a little bit of hope, a little bit of opening, but take this very seriously because there may be a point to where we've gone so far in one direction we cannot come back in the other. So using the words of the poets and read this poetry in the same way that you read other forms of poetry um, where poets use lots of symbolism and words to paint pictures and create emotions in us. And those emotions are designed to um, help us feel, to help us behave, um, to create some movement or response in us. And so that's what they're doing. As you can see, this book is much too short to be in the section of of Christian scriptures that's called the major prophets, major referring to the length of it. It's a very, very short and brief book. And so I just remind you of what I said earlier, that it's here because it's traditionally been attributed to Jeremiah and therefore is placed right after his prophetic book. So um, with that, the short little um, prophetic book in Christian scripture of Lamentations comes to an end. Thank you.